coming. Uh, my name is Milena Kalinowska, and I'm Director of Public Programs and Education at the Hirschhorn. Tonight, we are indeed delighted to have with us artist Sharon Loudon, whose recent book, Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, which includes essays by 40 working artists, has received a lot of attention this year. The book features DC-based artists Maggie Michael and Dan Steinhebel, who are indeed here with us, among many others. Shannon will, join, will be joined by several artists in the discussion to explore how artists today judge or juggle their creative lives with everyday needs and make a living. Before I go any further, I'd like to thank some of our important partners of this evening's event. Curator's Office, headed by Andrea Pollan, whose idea... whose idea indeed it was, and American University Studio Art Program, headed by Zoe Charlton and Tip Dow. with whom we have collaborated in the past. Special thanks also go uh, to Friends of the Hirschhorn for further support of this event. If you are interested in any of our programs and podca podcasts, please visit our website at hirschhorn.si.edu. So now let me turn to Sharon, and we are absolutely delighted to have her with us. Sharon Loudon graduated with BFA from the Art Institute in Chicago and an MFA from Yale University School of Art. Her work has been exhibited in numerous venues, including Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum, the Drawing Center, National Gallery of Art, Carnegie Mellon University, Birmingham Museum of Art, Weatherspoon Art Museum, and the Kempler Museum of Contemporary Art. Sharon's work is held in many public and private collections, including the museums that I have mentioned, as well as Yale University Art Gallery. Sharon has taught for 20 years since graduating from Yale in 1991. Her teaching experience includes studio and professional practice classes, and she has taught around the whole of the United States. In addition to teaching at the New York, in addition to this teaching, she also teaches at the New York Academy of Arts. She also, also conducts a very popular series at that place with brilliant individuals in the art world and from elsewhere. Sharon is also the editor, if we all know, of Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, essay, uh, the book of essays by 40 working artists. It is really a quite an outstanding publication, which is now available in our bookstore. It is now in its fourth printing, has been on many lists as the best seller, and we are very lucky to have those 60 or 40 copies that we were able to secure because this current edition is no longer available. What I'd like to do now is um, to welcome the artist that Shannon is with, and she will tell you more about them, Jenny Marquetou, Jeff Spaulding, and Patrick McDonough, who will be indeed in discussion this evening. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Are we ready to go? 
Okay, so uh, first I want to, uh, uh, before I do all of my thank yous, thank you, Milena, I appreciate it. I'm gonna introduce these amazing artists that I feel very honored to be on stage with. So all the way to my left is Pat Patrick Madonna, and he's an artist and educator living here. His work, I'm sure you guys all know him, right? You guys hung out with him before? Um, his work has been shown in numerous solo group and public exhibitions at such institutions like the Socrates Sculpture Park in Long Island City, uh, Mass Mocha, the Hyde Park Art Center, G Fine Art, and in collaboration with such institutions as the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, Maryland Institute College of Art, and Arch ARCH Development Corporation. So he just closed his debut solo exhibition at American uh, University Art Museum. And since then, he's currently working on the forthcoming public space initiatives in Boston, Virginia, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Miami, Florida, all over, all over the place. Patrick is currently an instructor at the Corcoran College of Art and Design and American University, and you can find more about his work on his website at pkmcdonough.com. How's that? Jeff Spaulding, to the left of me, was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but is based here in Washington. And you can find his work at G Fine Art as well here in the city. His work has recently been on display at such institutions as the Washington Project for the Arts. His work was included in the Corcoran 48th Biennial at the Corcoran Gallery of Art, where his work is also included in the permanent collection. And a curator's office and the Heckinger Collection. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yeah. You're gonna use a microphone too, right? Okay. Um, in addition, Jeff has exhibited at the Krieger Museum, the New Museum of Contemporary Art, the Phillips Collection, and many other museums all over the country. His works are included in many permanent collections, uh, including the Corcoran, as I said, Washington Post, uh, and many other wonderful uh, places where you can see his work, public and private. And he just recently had some fantastic reviews in Art Forum and Art News. Congratulations. Okay, great. Finally, Jenny Markatu is an artist who is a contributor in the Living and Sustaining Creative Life, this book where why we're all sitting here today. Um, she is a Greek-born interdisciplinary artist living and working in New York City. She has an MFA from Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, and she's taught in the art department at Cooper Union in New York City. She's the author of a photography book, which is published by Kidros Publishers. Her solo exhibition at Benneke Museum has been included in the Bloomberg Challenge Awards for the city of Athens. She's done many other solo projects, uh, some of which were at the Highline Park, which commissioned her for a piece, is that correct? At the Highline, okay. And a and practice project commissioned by Atrium Museum of Art uh, in, in Victoria in Bilbao, Spain. Her work has been included in numerous exhibitions internationally, and she has a, uh, there's a biennial coming up in Colombia this year, and she's been included in the fourth biennial of Athens, Greece last year, and other venues all over the world. And you can find her work uh, on her website as well, jennymarkaduke.com. So as Milena said, in addition to these wonderful artists that are here, I also want to say that also Maggie, Michael, and Dan Steinhuber, who are in this book, this is the book, by the way, this is it. And 
and they are here right over there, so they're going to be willing to talk to you about their essays and their life as well afterwards, not to put you guys on the spot, but you'll do that. <laughs> Um, I am the editor of this book, as Melina said, and so uh, bef before I start, also I just want to say too how grateful I am for being here to be here. I'm especially grateful to Zoe and Andrea for the opportunity to be here, and Melina and as far and Carrie Brower and Kevin Hull and um, Peggy Burnett for being such a great support to be here. But what's really special about being here is I have to say, 30 years ago, in October of 1984, when I was a young art student dating myself, and uh, I'm, I was raised in Albany, Maryland. Does anybody know where that is? I went. To, why should I do that? I don't know why I just did that. <laughs> I went to uh, to Sherwood High School, which has an amazing uh, art department, and I, my husband's here. He's right here, and he and I went to the same high school. And I remember just uh, struggling when I got out of co uh, when I went to college because um, my parents didn't pay for my education and weren't really supportive of me as an artist. And so. Uh, I would always go to the museums here to try to get them to maybe help me, to speak to me. Well, in October of 1984, 30, almost 30 years ago, I saw this show called Content here at the Hirshhorn. And it was monumental for me. I'm start to cry. It was monumental because it taught me and gave me the confidence to be a professional artist today, to live and sustain a creative life. And now I'm here 30 years later. So thank you, Hirshhorn Museum, for giving that to me. So I'm very grateful to be here. And hopefully this will be worth your while. I'll work really hard at this to make it fantastic. So anyway, um, this book has been a labor of love for me. Two and a half years ago, I was approached to write a book, and I just felt like, as an artist, I'm not an expert on anything except for my work, and that's still evolving. And so they asked me, well, what would you want to do? And I said, you know, one thing that artists don't talk about is money, nor are they great sharers. I hate to say it, that's not really a word. They're not great in sharing so much. We're competitive individuals. Um, and at least in my experience of being a professional artist for since I graduated from graduate school. And when I got out of graduate school with a mountain of debt, $115,000 in debt, which I paid off, I'm very proud to say, through my work, um, I have to say that it was very, very difficult to have a community. And so even today, when artists go, go out of, come out of graduate school, and even the school that I teach at, the New York Academy of Art, they ask me, how do I get a gallery? And I say, why is that the first question you're asking? And so uh, finally, I said to my publisher, let's ask some artists and let's do some sharing. So this book is about um, testimonials that are actually, there's nothing romantic in this book. They're pretty flat. Some of them are actually pretty boring because they just say how they may, uh, try to make a living. Now, some of the essays are opaque depending on the personality of the artist, and some of them are more transparent. So I see the opaque ones to start a conversation. 
and the ones that are more transparent, they sort of end a thought. And so uh, from this book has started a lot of conversations. This is the 14th stop on a 45 stop book tour through July 5th, actually it'll go through 2015. We have another 31 stops until July 5th. And why is that occurring? Is because I think artists, or at least the feedback I'm getting from artists all over the world in blogs, et cetera, are saying to me, you know, we just don't talk about this, and a lot of artists feel by themselves, and also a lot of schools don't give information about how to make that leap. Sometimes it feels like artists are falling off the cliff, or let's say artists who are uh, uh, just starting in the middle of their life, they don't know where to go or how to start. So that's why I start. I did this book, and, and that's why we're all here today to talk about this. So what I'm going to do is the format of this is for the next half hour. I'm going to have a conversation with these guys. We're going to have a great conversation and warm you guys up. And then I'm going to open the, uh, the mic to all of you to ask some questions of us until about you know, 8.15, 8.30. And then from 8.30 to 9 o'clock, you can approach us and ask us questions. But also you can buy a book. And we will, Jenny and I and uh, Maggie and Dan will sign them. You're going to do that too. So anyway, the, the also I just want to say too that I say this is a labor of love. None of the artists got an advance for this book. The 8%, which is pretty common in academic publishing of, of profits that we get, I'm splitting with all my contributors. So it would take us over 15,000 books to sell to make a profit. So that's not the point of this. The point of this is being with you today to have these important conversations and actually change, hopefully, maybe I'm an idealist, but I think it might be happening, is change the idea of how artists communicate and share and be empowered to do things maybe with or without a dealer. Um, so, okay, so we ready to rock and roll. I'm going to start the questions. Um, you guys have your microphones? Okay. Where, it should be on your chair. Okay. <laughs> okay, so these guys know all the questions already, So, um, but I might throw some um, at them unpredictably, and I will interrupt um, probably. Um, but, you know, my first question is for all of you, I think a lot of people know or not know how an artist really lives. Like even some other artists, uh, even uh, other artists in the room, I mean, does everybody really know how other artists live? It's, it's, it might be uh, a mystery. Not every artist is the same. Not every person is the same. We all have a different regimen, I think, depending on the personality of the artist. But I would love to hear from you guys, you know, given a day or a week in your life, um, how do you balance the obstacles of life that everybody in the world experiences, whether it's you know, laundry or paying your bills or I don't know. I mean, what are the things we all do every day? Parking the car, getting a parking ticket, I don't know, whatever you do. And then tending your creativity and making work. I mean, is it, how do you do that? How do you balance that? So Patrick, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so I, I'm a relatively regimented uh, at, at the weekly level, I guess you could say. Um, you know, studio days are um, pretty consistent. Uh, work teaching days are pretty consistent. Um, office time happens in the morning. Uh, I think you and I both email uh, last thing at night. We ping stuff back and forth at 2 a.m. Um, 
but uh, I was thinking about this question a lot and uh, I feel like that's a pretty standard answer, right? Like we, we sort of establish these things, that's what they teach us in school, like sort of carve out your studio time uh, and, and don't schedule things during that time, on and on and on. Um, but what I find I really need is like this sort of outside creativity time. So uh, my wife works in politics and so uh, the ability to attend events with her and sort of step outside this system uh, sort of allows me to recognize maybe uh, the way all of these systems work uh, and uh, how everyone is functioning differently in the arts and outside the arts. Um, it's just sort of this moment of reflection, you know? Um, but would you say, what are you talking about, this system, like your own system or the art world or which systems are you talking about? Um, I, I, I think any of it. I think just... Um, I think artists are sort of obsessive people, right? Like we, we you're obsessive. You're saying you're obsessive. Um, I, I, I think we're 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 sure. Um, and uh, uh, but like you said, driven and uh, busy, and so it can feel sort of all-consuming, right? Um, and ambitious, and uh, all of these uh, descriptors. Um, and so the ability to sort of step aside from that uh, into uh, another, whatever you want to call it, context, world, um, group of people can be really refreshing. Um, it's like going to the gym or something. It's just a, a way to like switch your brain for a moment that uh, kind of brings the rest of the, the week, to put it that way, uh, it becomes more productive, I think. Um, and Jenny, do you, or do you have that kind of discipline? Do you do, do, you do um, that? I, I, I may say, though, that when we talk about life and work, it's not an, an, um, having to, uh, and facing some kind of difficulties. The difficulty is not to go to another system or to go and see another exhibition so I refresh my mind. To me, I take the question, what happens when the conflicts of life, real life, and catastrophes, or deaths, or fires, or anything can happen in someone's life, and at the same time, you have a deadline to, and, and you have to finish a project because you have a contract. And this is where, to me, is the big conflict and challenge, where family, where personal and, and, and work comes to, together. And I find that the way, I don't have all the solutions, but what I found for me to be very helpful is to focus, to look what are my priorities at that moment, and where are, what are my commitments, and how can I jungle, or I can even talk and discuss the, the, the issues, which I'm personally, I'm always facing. The kind of work I'm doing, I travel a lot, I, am, I commit myself in all over the world, and then I come back, and my boyfriend has a, something, and my mom is there, who's in Greece, so I always learn how to, to be flexible and 
and just being focused and be disciplined and know from nine, I have to do this and this and this and this. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And I think artists, we are faced with this challenge continuously. And especially women that we have on the top of everything, families and kids and everything. You, you just said especially women? Yes, I do. I, I don't have this burden. I'm free, I can do whatever I want, but I have many friends that have incredible uh, careers, but at the same time have the, the, the challenge of, of, of bringing up a family, bringing up kids, supporting uh, members of their family, and they, they do everything, but it is, it is, there, it is an, an, an another achievement. So, I mean, we, we can go on. Right. I think that's very interesting because in the book there are many um, uh, women in the yes. book who do have children and they address that in one way or another. And there, there actually there are some people in the book too who have children who don't even talk about it. So that's very interesting as well. Jeff, how do you do it? Uh, well, I think if you, know, if you have a life... If you have a life, you've got, uh, you can have all sorts of interruptions in it. Um, other people have jobs, other people have careers, and balance things. Um, I guess if you wanted a simple life, you'd just stay by yourself and live in a studio. But I choose to have a life, I've got a family. Um, I think what's important is that you keep some space in your head that's special and that you don't let other things invade. Um, you can work a job, you can have an experience with somebody, um, you can have an argument, all sorts of things um, that can take away from um, your thinking about art. Um, you might be, if you teach, some, some, I get, I teach and I get energy from teaching. I know other people that teach and they give it all away and they're drained and there's nothing left at the end of the day. So, you know, you have to figure out a way to hold on to something. It's, in some ways, it's a little selfish. Um, but you have to be that way. It's not necessarily, um, a negative aspect of being selfish. It's just protecting that little bit. Um, you know, you could be, maybe your side job is a carpentry. Um, and I've done that. Um, I've teamed up with another artist and two-man crews, did it once and with the idea that you would work and then you'd take some time off. But the guy I was working with said, no, you do that and then you'll be out of the loop. You won't get another job. So I quit working with him and today he's a successful contractor. Um, but something like that um, can satisfy some of the same things that you get from your art. Right. And it's easier. Right. So but, but wait, but, but I, w I just, just to, in brief, because okay. I'm going to go on to the next question. Okay. So for you, I'm, I know how it can satisfy other people, but I'm interested in you. Okay. Um, for you, you're saying that you, you teach and that gives you great satisfaction and you have a space, you keep a space so that things for you, you can function. Right. And so, and you have family, right? So how, just really briefly, since I just want to okay. narrow it down a little bit, tell me how you deal with the obstacles and where do you fit the creativity in there? 
Is it schedule? Is it, um, what is it? Well, it's, it's both. It depends on if you talk about being in the studio as the creative part, but then there's times when you have to be out of the studio. Right. You know, okay. a parent is in the hospital, so you're in the hospital. Right, okay. Um, so you pay attention to that. You start looking at all the medical equipment. And I took that back to the studio afterwards. Okay. So you're, you've got some part of your brain that's involved. Um, sometimes driving down the, the, the road, I start seeing my sculptures in front of me if I'm in a... Um, Intense period in the studio. Cool. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go okay. on to the next question. But that sounds that sounds I get a picture a little bit. Mm -hmm. But can you all, guys also share with with us like here you've talked a little bit about how you balance what you do, but if briefly just say a little bit about what do you think those keys are to sustaining your creative life? You talked about the balancing a little bit and how you uh, just briefly with the obstacles or dealing with that, but what do you think the keys are for you and maybe other artists, just briefly, if you were to think about in a sentence of sustaining your creative life? Jenny, do you want to start? Um, I think creativity is one thing, because whatever we do in our life is creative, and we can have a creative life every minute. Um, sustainability is something that it comes from different sources and different venues, and it depends on each of us, I think. To me, it's to find which are those venues or those resources that they will uh, allow me to practice and do my work the way, the way I want to do it. So I can keep the, my ideas and the integrity of my work and still be able to sustain them in the best way. So I learned very soon, since I, I, leave, I, I grew up in a very, in a much more ideolo ideological country like Greece, but when I came to New York to, to study, I realized that I was by myself, and I had to f make a living. If I was going to stay in New York, I had to become part of the New York scene. I had to be part of the community of the artists. So I realized that I have to, fi to, to, to learn how to create my own resources and how to create my own opportunities. And of course, I must say that, and everybody who, who practices as an artist knows that there, it's luck, it's circumstances. Um, in my case, let's say it was luck because I was from Greece very early in my, in, as soon as I graduated from my graduate school, I was able to uh, represent Greece in the Sao Paulo Biennial. I did manifest and bitted of it, so right away it gave me the opportunity to realize that New York is nothing. New York is just another city, that there is a wide, wide world that I can do work. And also this gave me the opportunity to learn how to, to create a network which is outside. So this is something that keeps sustaining me till now because I have been able to create a much larger ne network which goes beyond New York and learn how to, to live and work out of a suitcase. I don't need, I don't have always, I have a studio in New York, but how to learn to, to jump off the plane and go and meet a new team and start working on a project and so on. That's great. Jeff? 
can you talk about what are the keys, do you think, in your life, briefly, that you sustain your creative, you know, your creative life all these years? What have been the keys for you to sustain that? Do you want me to come back to you? No. Um, it's it's a fairly it's a ba it's a basic thing for me. Okay. Um, I get excited by when I'm faced with something new. I, I look for things I've never seen before. Um, I take pleasure in little discoveries, you know, little moments. It doesn't always have to be a big moment. It's just little treats. And I keep coming back to make that happen. Um, if my work gets, in a way, too familiar to me, I come along and do something to mess with it, which is probably maybe shooting myself in the foot in terms of the uh, art world situation. But there's nothing like seeing something you've never seen before, getting that, that rush, and it doesn't happen always. And then the first thing you wanna do is come back and have it again, and of course it doesn't come the same way twice. Um, but it picks you up and it reminds you of why you do that in the first place. It has nothing to do with other people at that moment or money. Um, maybe the next moment, you know, like if I come around the side of a mountain and I see this great view, I'm gonna take it in and enjoy it. Next thing I wanna do is go get somebody else and take them up there. Um, but it's those little moments that I keep going for. And so you have to set up, set yourself up for that. Maybe refuse to go down the same path or refuse to take the same solution that you did once before. Uh, it might mean you have no solution, but it forces you to maintain a certain freshness and risk. Um, that sounds great. And it just it just keeps you going. Awesome. You know, I always thought, you know, if art doesn't kill you young, it'll keep you going. That's great. That's the quote of the night so far. So you're a shark, Jeff. You gotta <laughs> keep swimming or you'll sink. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Patrick? Um, well, so I am uh, so much less uh, fantastically successful than the three of you all. Um, oh, uh, but you know what? Uh, what uh, really stood out to me about the title of your book is this idea of sustainability. Um, so I've been doing some work lately on that topic, and so uh, the the sort of UN-sanctioned definition of sustainability is balancing the needs of the present with the needs of the future, um, and so in my regimented time as described. Uh, I spend a fair amount of time uh, really sort of contemplating where I see things going um, because in my mind, uh, sustainability equals uh, continuation into the future. Um, so it, if this whole uh, idea of uh, financial stability or financial uh, seeming solvency at the, at the very least, um, or continuing to show or continuing to make even at the very basic level, it seems like we, I just find myself really spending a lot of time thinking what that might look like uh, two days from now, a week from now, a year from now, so 10 years from now. So how do you stay in the present then with it? Like what that shark comment was sort of what I was going to tell you in brief. I mean, it's like literally you keep moving or you die. Um, and that, that moving might 
take a lot of different forms uh, throughout the day. Um, and maybe you're just swimming in circles uh, at a certain point. But um, so that's how I find myself staying in the present is just one foot in front of the other in some senses. It's great. And the, uh, the other thing that you said, uh, you were bringing the word uh, perfect timing, success, the word success. And now on this book tour, that's one thing that has come up over and over and over again um, at every book event, and so I'm just going to bring it up, um, that uh, people want to know, or at least artists, let's say, um, what is the definition of success for an artist? And what, what does success look like today? Is it that you have uh, some kind of representation in a gallery system, or is it that you are uh, just able to just make your work? And um, I mean, after reading the book, I mean, it's, it's you that's going to make that decision as to what it is for you. But what is it for you guys? Is it, what, what is success for you as an artist? Is it financial? Is it uh, just being able to make your work? Is it in having a, a dialogue in the public realm? Um, how, how, what is that? So Jeff, can you tell me briefly? Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, I get to still do it. I've had a, a, a real life, I'm kids, um, the youngest of three just got out of college, so now I, I have a little bit more money. Um, I, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, so I learned how to be tight, and right from early on, um, you know, just on a, with a small income and kids, and kids eat a lot of food, you learn to be tight. You learn to figure out what do you really need. You know, sometimes you might have to plan for a couple of weeks before you could buy tires. Yeah. Um, other times, uh, something comes in, and, uh, you know, you might get a sale, and sales are, you know, sort of more like windfalls. Right. Um, my first big sale, I celebrated for a while and then realized I had a college tuition payment due. <laughs> but if I didn't have that, I would have had to go out and pound some nails. Can I ask you something? Sure. How long was that celebration for? Was it like five minutes or was it like a couple oh, days? Or? It was a couple of days couple until days. the bill came. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, I just want to get a yeah. sense of timing. You know, how, how, when does that go away? But I mean, that's so interesting. It's great. It's refreshing to hear this. That for you, it is just mm -hmm. you've been able to do this for for years and through family and paying these bills and maybe unpredictable, uh, not stable situations as far as employment per se. I don't. I'm not yeah. sure. But would you? I'm, I'm just sure. making a guess. Would you mm -hmm. say that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in, in, to do this and to have, like, say, a family, you have to have a good partner. My, you know, my former wife is, was a good partner. I refused to call her ex. Um, so, you know, we were able to do it. Um, we were able to, you know, continue to, to, to work. I have a decent studio. Um, pipes all burst last week, but okay. that was a mess. Um, so I lost two days of actually working on for a deadline because uh, the ceiling was falling in. But it still sounds like that the measure of success is that you're, just in short, just to move on to Jenny, just to say that just doing it. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Jenny. Uh, well, I think success for 
women's and for everybody, so many different things. One thing that comes first is to my mind, success for me is to be able to think. And to think, not to make, to think intelligently, not to do things well, but to bring this exaltation of the mind that you can really, really express through the work. Also another, success for me means to be relevant, to be part of a large narrative, as I say, in, in, the, in, in, in the world, and be able to communicate, to, to, to make my work in a way that can communicate people that they are not just from the art world. As I grew up in Athens, in Greece, from a very, both my parents were activists. They were very, very politically involved. They were rebels. They were, so after the, the Second World War, when we were born, we, we lived with their amazing experiences from the resistance and what, how important for us is what we make to be meaningful and engage the world, that we can offer something to the world. So always my work has been, has this quality of process and social engagement, which I owe to this inspiration of growing up in this amazing couple of mother and dad. And still, till now, my, my, my relationship with Greece inspires me still to address th these issues. And so success for me is exactly to create this kind through my work that can engage a, a wider audience which goes beyond the art world. That's great. Patrick, what do you think? Um, I feel like it, it's sort of a triangulation between the two of you. I mean, I, I think at a really basic level, it is just the ability to keep on making things um, or making art, whatever, uh, it's, if it's a thing or not. Um, and uh, But this, this idea of sort of participating in a community or a dialogue, um, especially sort of um, within your immediate surroundings, I think, um, and, and something that's sort of like trending upward seems to be the sort of like instinct I have, you know? Um, you know, you make a thing and so you change the shape of it in the world and it, 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 it's trending upward, you know? And, and so this, this idea of participating in a discourse and that doesn't necessarily have to be some sort of like uh, international art world sort of discourse. I sort of like, like you, Jenny, feel this sort of uh, 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 different kind of emotion to, um, to this sort of non-art audience, if you want to put it that way. Um, but uh, participating in, in, in something feels like uh, a, a good marker of success. Like being useful, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Could that be it? Yeah, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, too, so I think uh, <laughs> we think pragmatically. Where are you from? Uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, that's right. Um, so the last thing uh, I'll talk about, which I didn't put on the, sorry, I didn't put on, but I think you can answer it, it's fine. I didn't put on the questions, but who, how many students do we have here? Do we have a lot of students? Okay, great. Um, uh, 
I'm going to read a quote from, it's, it's uh, abbreviated from your essay uh, from Jenny. She says, my practice has remained uh, op op uh, op uh, oppositional to the gallery system, can't talk, and rather than hide behind the false idealism, I'm forced to find alternative ways to make my living and support my studio art practice. I've decided to engage myself in projects which engage new audiences outside of the art world and which can be sponsored and commissioned by alternative art economies and shown by museums, festivals, and foundations. So for Patrick and Jeff, because I think Jenny has uh, addressed this, how important, and I, I mean, I value galleries quite a bit. Some of my best friends are gallery dealers. I have, uh, I work with three galleries. I, I see them as a partnership, uh, each one of them, each as a different partnership. But some, I, I do believe, and I am bothered, like I said before, that some uh, young artists feel dependency on this system, on the gallery system, which I actually don't think is fair for the dealer either, because I think it's impossible for uh, now, in in this day and age for a dealer to satisfy every artist that works with a, uh, a gallery dealer. So for, for Jeff and Patrick, I'm going to ask you how important is that gallery relationship? Patrick. Is Annie here? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Is she um, here? No, I, I mean, I think uh, th this is sort of what I was intimating before is like I feel like and a lot of the responses I've seen online to your book and sort of like all these pieces that have come out like this week, you know, Holland Cotter, Kara uh, right. Ober's piece that right. just came out, like all this, like we're all sort of chewing on like what's the future of this thing, right? Um, right. Even Gavin Brown came out in Art Review today and said like called these galleries like megalodons, like there's these huge fish that are going to die off, right? Um, wow. But so... Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like great. It's a space to do a certain sort of work and like have a certain sort of relationship, like you said. But then, um, I mean, to talk crass money, I mean, you can get paid on the front end of what you do or you can get paid on the back end of what you do. And it's sort of like what fits, uh, what, what, what fits the idea, what's actually feasible, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of tending towards the getting paid on the front end these days because it... It seems more viable. Can can you answer after I have, have Jeff? Is that okay? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I've had gallery representation, several galleries, um, changed over time. I currently show with Annie as well, and I work with um, projects with curator's office. So it's it's really rewarding, and you, t you talked about a partnership. Mm -hmm. When you have a, a gallerist that believes in what you do and is willing to take a, a financial risk, um, other gallerists, you know, if you don't, have decent sales the first show, that's that's it. Um, what's important for me is having a, a, a way to occasionally get work out there. And I think Patrick is doing it with some of his projects that aren't necessarily gallery related. Um, I know a lot of artists, uh, younger artists that um, clean out a part of their studio every once in a while and put their own exhibitions together. Not necessarily of their work, but of friends. And, you know, so they're doing a curatorial process, not necessarily for sales. Um, so, you know, the gallery is the, maybe the traditional way of making money. And, you know, the, for me, the worst case scenario in a gallery would be it's just an art store. 
Um, you want to be, you know, in partnership with somebody. I like some a gallerist that's adventurous, as takes risks as much as I do, and is willing to put it out there and maybe take time to bring the audience around. But that's not all gallerists. Right, Jenny. Well, what I want to say is that, that I, I, I'm, we, we shouldn't uh, demonize galleries. I, I think I'm we not, do. Totally not. Uh, I think they, you know, I am, I don't think the, the kind of work I, I do, I always feel that I, it gives me more space and time to develop in, a, in the context of a museum or a biennial or whatever. But going back to the gallery, I have also collaborated. I collaborate with galleries. But what I feel, I don't think we should expect from the gallery to rally on our imagination or our creativity. Whether we like it or not, as we all know, the art market nowadays, to have a gallery is very expensive. It needs money. So the galleries has certain limitations how and how much they can do for us. And so it's more what are what actually our expectations are. That's and right. I also think that the galleries that they can really do things for the, uh, I don't want to be cynical, but I feel that the galleries really that they can do things for the artists nowadays are the galleries that they have the, the, the financial possibility to participate in fairs and in fairs like Freeze, mm -hmm. fairs like the Armory, like Basel, the big expensive fairs so they can create a network of people that they are going to invest on artists and uh, galleries that they are able, like Air de Paris, that they can sell air as they have been selling like Maurizio Catalan for years. Mm -hmm. And they have been selling uh, performances that they don't even have a, a, a photograph. There is no, it's only, the, the documentation is by ear, is an oral history, mm -hmm. and Tate is buying those performances for thousands of pounds. So we have our expectations, again, to my opinion, are certain galleries can really make and promote money for an artist, and that's my... I agree. I think that the, the I just think that the system, the quote unquote, or in the art world has, has changed and that there, there's so many ways an, an artist can sustain a creative life and, and want, that's just one part of the puzzle. So now we're at the time where we can open the conversation to you, and I wanted to ask who's going to ask a question first. We are going to grab Patrick's microphone. It's not to say he can't talk in a microphone. We can share it with him. He'll still be able to talk. Okay, who would like to ask a question first? And if not, I'll start calling on people. There you go. Hello. Hi, my name is Kamal, and um, I'm not an artist. I'm more of an emerging curator slash gallerist. That's my trajectory, so it's interesting to hear this end of the spectrum, but it makes me nervous, too, because I'm trying to find ways to creatively start to become a curator with my peers, and so, I don't know, I guess my question is, uh, what would you advise someone who's an emerging curator or gallerist? Like, I, I mean, I have a good concept of what dynamics are in the art world, and 
different flows of different things, uh, I guess the subtle nuances, I'm pretty intuitive about it, but I still find difficulty in, for example, as a curator, I've been wanting to curate a show in DC with peers, but I want to find artists that I'm inspired with that speak to me, that engage me. My mantra is like positive social change through art. That's my trajectory with my, as far as my curating goes, but I find difficulty. So like, what do I as a curator, how do I, I mean, I know going to art openings and all that, but you know, I just, I'm not kind of at a, a plateau and as to what I can do, you know what I mean? So I could use some advice. Yeah. So, Patrick, do you want to, Jenny, <laughs> can you get, have him um, borrow your microphone for a second? I'm sorry. Do you want to start that? Sure. Um, well, Kamal, I'm excited to hear you uh, pursuing this, uh, for one thing. Um, you know, I think uh, sort of we need young dealers, curators at all times, you know, sort of like cycle of life stuff. Um, but I think, I mean, if you're, I mean, there's such a like rife tradition of like socially engaged art going on right now. So it's sort of like you don't even necessarily need a space. You just need like a plot of green space and like some people doing cool stuff. And we, we call it a show and like it's good. Good, right? Um, and so it, it, it's it's sort of like what we've all been sort of uh, chewing on, right? It's uh, you just make it happen. You like find the cracks and find the the new models and and do it, and then people will pay attention. I'm, I'm I, I know, promise you that. You know? What do you um, think the What do you think the, uh, the make it happen? What does that mean? Do you think? I mean, does he do research? What do you guys think about that? Like, does he do research? Does he Does he How um, does he get into this community here? In I mean, my, my my answer would be like sort of forget about the existing models in some ways, you know, like um, a gallery is paying a lot of money for their space and nonprofits paying a lot of money for their space. It's like they might be sort of reticent to get just handed over to you if you had, if this is your first show. So it's like, where can you do your first show? Probably somewhere where no one has thought to let you do a show before. Um, but take all the furniture out of your apartment or put it all in one, empty it out and have one room. I know a number of curators, curator's office and in particular, um, started that way. Not with even an idea of there, there would be another one, but here's something they wanted to do, an idea or people, so then, like Patrick says, you make it happen, but it might be you move your sofa, or you use a friend's gallery, or a vacant lot. Um, but also you can, uh, I mean, what they're calling them these pop-up exhibitions, which they happen very unexpectedly, but I also find that you can start making, uh, you, you can con uh, distribute your work also through, at the beginning, through the internet, your ideas. And by doing this, and something that we haven't discussed at all, that as contemporary artists, probably we should consider other venues and media and tools and skills how we can di di distribute our work. The work is not always needs a space and a physical space space, we can always create another space. And I think that can be a beginning of trying out your ideas. And then you can take them for an evening or a day as a pop-up which doesn't take much money. I have a very good friend in New York and she has this incredible 
Quijon projects, and she's from Bogota. And this year, Unlimited, she, she had the, the most sales in Basel, in Miami. And that's how she started. She was doing pop-up in, in the furniture stores in New York. So she was taking this, uh, some part of the furniture store, and she was doing th this exhibit. And in a couple of years, she has th this amazing project space. I think also from the book, Austin Thomas has a Pocket Utopia. You should just send her an email, tell her I sent you, and ask her the same question. Know her you know her? Well, you should know the answer then. <laughs> I think that you need to develop your community by using social media. If you're not, if you can't physically get there, you need to reach out and find your community. I mean, there's a thriving community here in DC. I think it's a matter of uh, different avenues through different people. And I mean, I hate the word networking, but there's a purpose to that. You know, they're that making that connection, doing the work to get outside of yourself to make the effort to find these people and then try to match them with your vision. That's what an artist should do anyway, or I should never say should. That's terrible. There's no advice in this book, by the way, none. <laughs> Thank you.